On the third day was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said, or the Greek literally is says, his mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you, I can imagine the pat on the back, you, my lad, you have kept the good wine until now. The bridegroom's like, I did? I did, yes. All right, see that, honey? You got the right guy. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. We are told that this is a sign. John specifically recording seven signs to point to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And that by believing in his name, you'll have eternal life. We saw that it begins with, in the beginning, God created that's genesis john begins with in the beginning was the word and john begins his gospel as if to say this is the genesis of the new testament there's an old creation that's rotting and going awry but there's a new creation that was birthed and made in the coming of the son of god in human flesh And he went around doing seven creative acts to bring people along the way. Specific miracles that were labeled signs. Signs point to something. That's the point of a sign. They point. Disneyland, five miles. Disneyland, exit right. You know, that's a sign. They're taking you somewhere. These signs are designed to take the readers, the followers of Jesus to the new creation he came to create. And this is the first. It's pointing us to his new creation. The place that is, that is driven and fueled by the Zoe life. The begotten, eternal, majestic, wide and deep life of God. We live in the present creation. We're driven by a biological life that breaks down. But Jesus in the new creation, the Zoe life, that's what his signs are pointing to. So when we see this first miracle, we're to look at the, this as a sign for what the new creation looks like. 
So we're to ask, so where is Jesus taking us? What is this new world that he's making? What does the Zoe life include? Well, the miracle is meant to show us what it looks like. Remember, he told Nathaniel, you will see greater things than these. Well, here it is. Number one, the first sign, the greater things. So what does the new creation, what does the Zoe life of God look like? It looks like wine, weddings, and the wink. I'll explain the wink. I'm sure you see the other two, but we'll, we'll, we'll look at that. <laughs> um, so it's a sign. So what, is, so what does it look like as, as a wedding, the new creation as a wedding? Uh, this, is, this is it. It's a wedding, but it's not just a wedding. And this is how the story goes. It's not just a wedding, but it's a banquet. The new creation is not just a wedding banquet, but it's a wedding banquet in which the wine never runs out. It's a wedding banquet in which the wine never runs out and in which the best wine is saved for the last. So it's a wedding banquet with abundance and so much abundance that you're not even going to get tired of it, but it's actually going to get better and better and better the longer you go in this abundance. That is what the new creation is like in a nutshell. That's what this miracle shows us. That is where we're going. That is what Jesus is doing at work in us, as Paul calls us, new creations, a new creature. We're bearing the fruits of the Spirit. This is where we're going. Celebration is what I think of when I see like, the Jewish way of doing weddings. And of course, wine in this context wasn't a touchy subject like it might be for Christians today. Wine was the only other beverage on the menu other than water. Today, we have a plethora of beverages. But back in ancient times, if you didn't want water, you had one option. It was culturally expected. Wine was used as that special drink. When you don't do water, you do wine. Everybody does it. So at the wedding, wine was very, 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 very important because it spoke of, this is a special occasion. This isn't ordinary water time. This is wine time. This is celebrate time. And of course, the Jews looked down upon drunkenness. So don't think this was like people swinging off the chandeliers and stuff. <laughs> and by the way, weddings were seven days about. So they, they're going on for days. The, the wedding master... It's supposed to be in charge of making sure that the wine kept flowing. He had to pace it. They would often dilute it with water. And he would pace that and do the right dilution so that it would last for the whole week so that the party didn't end with water. You don't end on a bad note. So one of the things that would have happened here is that there was great embarrassment when Mary realizes they have no wine. Because it was the job of the father, as soon as a daughter was born, to every single harvest season, take a barrel of wine aside for his daughter's wedding. He's planning for this wedding from the moment she's born and stocking up on wine. And that the wine runs out is an embarrassment to the family and it's an offense to the people who have taken a week off work to come. And so this is the problem. And this is where we are at currently in the present creation. We're not in the new glorious Zoe life creation. 
We live in a biological life that's breaking down. We have no wine. There is no celebration. And somewhere in our lives, when we're young and ambitious and our ego is driving us and we're building it up stronger and stronger, and that's what young people do, we don't realize that we have no wine. But somewhere in life, it fails us. And we're embarrassed and we realize everything we've worked so hard to become and everything we've built our life on. Suddenly the news comes to us. You have no wine. And then the shame sets in. The embarrassment sets in. The fact that I couldn't provide enough for my own life sets in. And we turn to different things. And that's where religion comes into play for so many people. We are ashamed of what we've done, of who we are. We realize we're not enough. So we turn to religion, which encourages us to be more and do more and put your shameful past behind you by by pulling up your sandal straps and tying them tighter and going forward. And you need to be what you want to be. So we turn to what John has ever so craftily put into the story. We turn to the six jugs of water which he specifically mentioned for us were in verse six there for Jewish rites of purification. These water jugs are a symbol of the Jewish religion and how this is simply bios life. This is just the natural unborn of God life. And religion teaches us that when we realize how finite we are, what failures we are, that we are not right before God, it teaches us to keep washing yourself, keep going through the rituals, keep on trying to be perfect, make yourself something. Your lack of abundance, you need to make yourself more. You may not be pretty enough. You may not be smart enough. You may not be pure enough. You may not be theological enough. You may not read the scriptures enough. You may not go to church enough. You may not love God enough. You may not talk the right words that other Christians must like. You may not watch the right movies or you watch the wrong ones. All these things can come into play. And this is the water of purification, the religious legalistic system we turn to when we feel dirty. But here's the problem is that laws cannot teach us to love. They might help us clean up. They might help us look out beyond ourselves, but they cannot teach us to love and they cannot birth the Zoe life of the spirit of God, the new creation within us. So whereas God is leading us through Jesus to the new creation and celebration, a wedding festival, our failure turns to religion, which tells us, Work harder, be more, be better, purification. So what Jesus does to solve the problem and the great embarrassment of no wine is he turns water, the symbol of the present creation, the common, the bios, the religious efforts to become better. He turns the water into wine. The symbol of the new creation, the Zoe life, the power of the spirit. And not just wine. We noticed two significant things about this wine. 
The first is obvious because it was said explicitly in the text. It was said, whoa, from the headmaster. You have saved the best wine until now. So we've learned first that this wine is of a superior quality. But second, and this is more inferred by careful readers, we learn that this wine is abundant. It's extravagant. You'll notice that the six jugs of water that Jesus turns into wine, John tells us, carried 20 to 30 gallons. Do the math. If we do 25 gallons per, this is 150 gallons of wine. Nobody's drinking all of that wine. Nobody should drink all of that wine. Jesus went above and beyond what the wedding needed. If they're out of wine, they're already towards the tail end of the wedding week. And here he's like, oh, okay, well, just for a splash at the end, let's do 150 gallons. This is an extravagant amount. This shows us what the new creation is like. It's not only far superior to anything we've ever been a part of, but it's abundant and never-ending. God always goes above and beyond what we need. And this, therefore, becomes a symbol of the Zoe life like we talked about last week. Zoe life, eternal life. We think of eternal life as that thing that happens after death. So it's just this never-ending life, this breadth of life. It is that. But what John is showing us by saying you could have eternal life here and now in Jesus is that it's not just the breadth of life, 150 gallons. It's the depth of life, the quality of life, that life can be better than it's ever been. And especially at the best timed moments when you are saying, I have no wine. I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. I'm going to turn to the water purification rites. And Jesus saying, wait, no, no, don't go there. I've got the best wine you've ever had available for you here. Let me breathe that into you. That's what this miracle's inviting us to. Amos 9 verse 13 tells us this. Amos 9 13. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. In other words, the harvest is going to be more abundant than the people collecting the harvest. There's going to be so much fruit coming that you can't collect it fast enough. Amos is seeing a day when that happens. There's an abundance. And then he says, the mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. There is going to be a plethora of wine in that day and age when God comes to fix everything. What's Jesus saying? Here's an abundance of wine. And then Isaiah 25 verse 6, similarly. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. Of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. So this future huge banquet, and here's Jesus at a wedding banquet, and he makes the wine flow abundantly to say, look, the things the prophets were saying, I am doing, I am providing. We have the opportunity 
to move from common bios life to the zoe eternal life of god to live eternally to go from water to wine but we struggle because we feel like we have to do it we're still stuck on pouring the water over ourselves and making ourselves feel better there's a lack i'm not enough i gotta become more and jesus saying the whole time wait i'm abundance i can make abundance just come to me I can make you more than enough. There's this really interesting terse conversation. And by terse, I mean short and almost rude. Between the mother of Jesus and Jesus. I read too much on these past, on these few verses. This, this terse little conversation. And I was, I, best, here's my summary of my findings. Everybody's guessing. So if you will, I'm going to guess too. Who says mine's any worse? So here we have this moment where Mary comes. And by the way, first, hold on. Notice that Mary's never named. It's the mother of Jesus. Never does it say Mary. So right there, something's different about the way John's telling the story. But also, so this mother of Jesus comes to Jesus and says, they have no wine. So the problem of the story is introduced. Jesus said to her, woman. Now, the Greek, they all agree, all of the writers say that there's no English word that equivalates to the Greek. What this is, is it's a, it's, a, it's a term that distances you from a person, but doesn't quite dismiss them in the way that it sounds rude to us. Like, you know, if, if Mary McGovero came up to me and talked to me, I said, woman, go do this. Like, you would all be really shocked. And Mike would slap me <laughs> or punch me. Um. I just got this crazy idea of what would happen after all that. I'm not going to elaborate. Uh, so that's how, it, but so the, the idea you need to understand is it's not rude. It is actually a polite term, but it's not necessarily endearing either. So there's this like tension between closeness and distance that Jesus is putting between him and his mother. And so she says they're running out of wine. Like she has this heart. Like, I don't want them to be embarrassed. We got to have wine for these people. Jesus, do something. And then Jesus kind of acts all flippant about it. Like, well, that's their fault. That's what he says. He says, what, uh, woman, what does this have to do with me? This isn't my problem. So why do you come to me with their problem? I'm not the one that overused the wine or didn't stock enough or invited too many people. Either one. I, it's not my fault. But then his mother, after this conversation, just goes to the servant and says, do whatever he tells you. Jesus never said he's doing anything. Quite the contrary. He distances himself from her and says, this isn't my problem, so go deal with it. Okay, go do whatever Jesus says. Like, this doesn't make sense. And hence, this is where the wink comes in. I can see in this conversation. Remember, my guess is as good as anybody else's after what I read. (laughs) This is where the wink comes in. So they're having this conversation. There are people around. I want you to notice that nowhere in the story does Jesus take credit for this miracle. Nowhere is he acknowledged publicly of what he did. In fact, the headmaster comes to the bridegroom and praises the bridegroom for the wine. It says specifically only the servants knew what had happened. So this is a top secret miracle. That Jesus performs. So Mary comes to him and has like this whole idea. Like he's going to do this amazing miracle. Everyone's going to know who my son is. And, and so she comes to Jesus. They have no wine. And Jesus does this thing. And you imagine the party going on, right? And the guests around. He does this thing where 
Woman, that does not concern me. Wink. You know what I mean? Like, there's a drug, like, well, drugs aren't good to talk about in church, but imagine a <laughs> drug deal and they're sliding the money over, right? And there's witnesses around that maybe you aren't watching, but you're like, you don't want anyone to know what's happening. And like, you don't have any money. And then you look back over, you know, the other guy looks over and says, what money? As he pockets it, right? Like, that's the idea. Like, there's something secretive happening. There's a secret exchange. And Jesus is saying, this doesn't concern me. Wink, wink. Watch what I'm about to do. So that nobody around says, oh, Jesus did the miracle. Look what Jesus did. This is all going to be on the sly. Now, the reason I see this as unique and intriguing and important is because we often realize we don't have wine and we feel like what Jesus would say to us is, well, is that my problem? Did I sin? Did I have some lack in my life? And we come to God expecting that attitude. But in actuality, that's what we are playing in our heart when the whole time Jesus is just winking at us saying, hey, you have no wine. Wink, wink. That's the point. I'm about to put my new creation into you. So just come to me. And we need to realize that he's not going to be arms crossed with us. He's going to be winking at us and saying, great, got you where I want you. Now come to the wedding where my wine is abundant and better than anything you've ever had. So this is where we struggle, and I'm going to ask us to do this. Just fall in love with Jesus. And I emphasize fall because we often think we have to climb in love with Jesus. We have to work our way into his love. We have to be something special or do something significant to... No, that's not what he's asking us to do here. The wink is that we just need to let Jesus be Jesus. Let him throw the wedding feast and we come and like weddings are meant to do. This is the part of the sub message here, too, is that Jesus came to have relationship, to have love with us, not to have some religious like, oh, you got to clean up your act and do this and that. Jesus came for relationship. The wedding feast was the perfect place to do his first sign because this is where we're headed. We end. Revelation shows us with a great big wedding So let us fall in love with Jesus tonight. We fear him, I think, because of our lack of wine. We're embarrassed, but we don't need to. As we read at the beginning of our service, 1 John 4, 18 and 19, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Not, we love because we worship so fervently. We love because we feed people who need food. We love because we don't swear. We love, and you can go down the list, but actually all it says is, we love because God romanced us at the wedding feast. He winked, and we got the message And we said, I want the wine, not the water. That's our invitation tonight. That's what you're being welcomed to.